I find it a little difficult to say what the subject matter of this seminar is going to be because it's too fundamental to give it a title. I'm going to talk about what there is. You're doing theater when you should be doing debate. Baby, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Two reluctant cogs. I went to an Ivy League school. I'm very highly educated. I know words. I have the best words. I got a coalition of the willing. I got 40 nations ready to roll, son. We did a whole lot of things that were right, but we tortured some folks. Two reluctant cogs. We came, we saw, <laughs> he died. <laughs> our enemies are innovative and resourceful. They never stop thinking about new ways to harm our country and our people, and neither do we. I don't know, I just woke up from a little nap. It's a little dark, but you guys silly? I'm still gonna send it. <laughs> Two reluctant cogs. Okay, we're back. Uh, Two reluctant cogs. Uh, today is August 4th, uh, 2022. I am Trevor. And uh, Sai, you know, we've, uh, there's been enough of the um, proceedings. I think everyone, all the facts are now out, you know, all the, Evidence has been laid bare before the public. I think we've all had enough time to digest um, this political crisis of, you know, a single man trying to overthrow uh, a democratic uh, legislature and and you know create a a uh, dictatorship on uh, January sixth, nineteen twenty nine, when King Alexander uh, threw out the Parliament of Serbia. Um, so what are your thoughts on it? I mean, it's all anyone has been talking about. <laughs> and, and you can be sure that the polemics on both sides will be remembered in history. <laughs> um, uh, I think... Did you know there was I, a coup on January 6th? Before? No. Uh, 100 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> I did not know. And I, it's the funny, the funny part is, is I, what I, what I actually want to know is if the people of Serbia know that. Oh, yeah. In Serbia. Yeah. Like, how relevant is that to their own history? Because I think that is a really interesting question as we think about, like, the, uh, you know, the charades or, and the, obviously, the hysterics that people, discuss the um current quote-unquote coup i can't decide you know sometimes i'm like that was sort of fucked oops part part of my language but uh some days i say that and then some days i'm like i don't think it was it was basically just memes i'm um, just i'm i know i'm just trying <laughs> to do a january 6th intro for the rest of time i just because <laughs> i think because clearly that's all anyone wants to talk about in like uh in news um I was like, I saw like recently, go ahead. Oh, I just, the, the news of the day on like the, you know, at least for me, which I, I don't watch TV, but I just like read it is pretty much where I get my, my news. And I just see like, everyone's talking about this. Sorry, Alex. I'm sorry to hear that. I know. (laughs) Um, read it in Twitter and, uh, everyone's talking about this Alex Jones trial and, um, which I don't, you know, with Sandy Hook parents or whatever, which is another thing that's always talked about. But, um, I noticed 
like the, the in the last two days, there's something along the lines of uh, his lawyers gave away his, his entire cell phone record to the, um, I guess the prosecutor or whatever, or the person representing the parents of Sandy Hook. So they have all his text mm-hmm. messages, and all mm-hmm. the takes coming out are the January 6th commission needs these text messages. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. I was just like, you need Alex Jones text messages. <laughs> oh, because like, he, he was a co-conspirator in, in the January. I don't know. 6th. I didn't click on any of the links, but I, I just I love them. I mean, I, like that. I don't, the, the fact that like, Alex this Jones is the one piece of evidence. Said, the, the fact that Alex Jones has said, I just, I just don't know the, understand the obsession with Alex Jones. Like, I think it's just such I just don't understand the obsession with most stuff because it just seems like a consistent and like almost intentional um, uh, focus on things that are just so stupid and irrelevant. Like, why does the American left care about Alex Jones? Like, at all. Yeah, it, it all. reminds me of it's like, like it's, Backstreet Boys when we were in elementary school, where it's like all everyone's talking, or like, you know, NSYNC or whatever, depending on your era. Yeah. Um, it's all everyone's talking about. And I remember being the, the hip uh, second grader or whatever I was, being like, oh, boy bands suck. But like, that's, there's this kind of like pressure to talk about every little detail of NSYNC. And it's like our intelligentsia have now <laughs> just turned into <laughs> to that. And gossip. Just need to, yeah, it's, like it's just gossip, gossip about. Something it's just like why why do I have to care about NSYNC? Why do I have to care about Alex Jones? He's sort of like a unhinged, like fat middle un middle age, unhinged, sort of like psychotic, unstable dude. And every time you say his name, it is good for him. Like us saying it is like he's happy we're talking about him right now. Like he's you know it's like it's it's just remarkable that anybody can believe that. Anything they say about him is go- is like good. Um, like the people that get worked up about it. Like, do you think? I just read this analogy. This is what the analogy is. It's it's like trying to fight a tsunami with a fire hose. Like literally, <laughs> like cool tool you've got there. It's useful for something, but you're blasting it at a tsunami, and and it's just water using what it's yeah. like using. You know, just only adds to the like the onrushing <laughs> yeah. wave yeah. of just outrageousness <laughs> like so why i just the, but it's this and it's this i just don't understand i, I don't understand how, but we're going to talk about something we do understand today we're going to talk yeah. about um we're going to talk about the fact that you love oil and um and i'm not talking about you i'm talking about you the listener you you love oil a lot and uh it's no. something unlike Alex Jones. We understand the oil economy very deeply. I would. I think we're <laughs> we're obviously. Um, you could consider us top experts on this subject, and so we wanted to talk about that and and then get into actually a Wendell Berry essay um, that we we both read and I think really enjoy this this guy and he kind of gets into some of the stuff. So it's kind of this is I guess going to be a climate podcast part two, the the long awaited part two. But yeah, and I think. I think it's it's relevant to climate, but I think inevitably we'll, we'll find. I think the, the takeaways will be applicable across a whole range of like thinking about how to engage with issues and think about your relationship to issues, um, which is going to be interesting. But Trevor, I need you to answer me. Do you love oil? I love oil. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say it. <laughs> Do you love oil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um. 
I, you know, if you go through the list of things that I love, um, that I love to do, that I love to participate in, oil isn't in the top one of them. But the premise here, of course, is that it is only on the basis of oil. And you might say like fossil fuels more generally, but we're just going to use oil as a stand-in. Yeah. Uh, that makes it possible. And of course, I, I actually didn't invent this. This is um, was handed to me by my father because he likes to poke people. And so, you know, people say they don't like oil. They hate oil. Oil is the worst thing ever. And, and of course, the response is just, no, you love, no, you love oil. Like, name one <laughs> thing that you do love. Name one non, name one thing that's not a person, you know, non-human that you love or activity that you love. And tell me how that's not made possible by oil. And, of <laughs> yeah. course... And in fact, all the humans you love are also made possible by oil in the sense that all of our agricultural the, industry the is... The population. Yeah, the global is, population. It's like only possible. It's only... Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> all the fertilizers that make that make it possible to grow enough food to support this amount of people is predicated on oil, as are the machines and the processing equipment and the shipping equipment and blah, blah, blah. Oil, so it started with, it's, Yeah, and it started with your dad, maybe. This, this uh, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> rhetorical... Uh, 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 lashing to give yeah. people and then you brought it into the office uh when we were working together and i don't know what the subject was that we were talking about beforehand it's probably yeah. renewables and how renewables are awesome and going to save the world and then and and we should do something about uh fossil fuels and about carbon emissions um probably something along those lines something that 20 somethings in new york would talk about um, yeah, especially all of our coworkers and our, you know, the general the energy business. Yeah. And also general, like, you know, socio cultural sphere, you know, everybody's yeah. like hip and green and liberal and, you know, sort of yeah. wants to we gotta do something. We got to do something about this climate crisis. And, yeah. uh, and I was coming, you know, coming out of the science program where I was even more in the, in the bubble of, you know, <laughs> just in like a. Uh, a grad program with all these science folks it's it's everyone there is like yeah all in on the the climate the, they're all climate warriors but you don't really mm -hmm. know what to do right and that's i think i think when you started throwing that around the office like you love oil everyone got really heated i remember me and evan in particular got very heated i believe alan was kind of laughing at this yeah um, yeah, it's uncomfortable it, to be accused of. <laughs> and nobody, <laughs> I mean, it's like, and I think, you know, again, it's sort of intentionally like a yeah. blunt instrument that you just beat with people until they relent, until they finally say, no, okay, fine, I love oil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is something that, like, you know, I argued probably for hours with you that day about this. Um, you know, about how it's like, whatever, just not even about the sentence, but just about the sentiment of like, you know, we need to be doing something and like oil is bad, essentially. And but this obviously stuck with me and festered like so many of your targeted, like precision strike uh, <laughs> trolls. Uh, and um, it stuck with me. And the longer I've worked in energy and the more I've seen um, of people, you know, just I guess the the discourse with a capital d around yeah. climate um yeah 
kind of evolve to to try to deal with like some of the, the deep existential crises right that we're dealing with as a species um the more i want to shout this at people because i look at all these ridiculous ideas i look at all the implications of of the plans and i look at the scope of the problem and uh one of my pet peeves is the lack of honesty that i think most people bring to these it's either lack of honesty or ignorance, but yeah, either way, it's, mix, it's, it's definitely a mix. But the confidence, because, but there's this confidence yeah, that yeah. that is that needs to be undercut. Like Corrected. I want to cut the yeah. knees out of people, off of people. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's and, remarkable because it's so overwhelming. It's like how can anybody pop? Once you start to cut, once you realize that you love oil, like once you've you've turned that corner and realized, oh damn, like the entirety of my existence, the entirety of our existence not just mine but like sort of the entire economic and material framework on which my life rests is predicated on this system of energy um it's it it is humbling yeah i think humbling is exactly the right word to it's humbling it. like yeah it's, and, and, it, and it destabilizing to like what you thought you knew about the way um the way politics ought to work or the way we ought to be behaving or the way the world ought, ought to bend what we ought to bend towards because it's um it's dramatic it's a dramatic like reimagining of of the kind of the workings of the world of the world economy yeah and i guess like i want to flesh this out a bit because when i say when i use it and i don't know how your dad intended it i don't know how you intended it, i just think it's a great it's a great way to just like uh upset people with those well it's words. upsetting uh, it's but, upsetting and and it's it does i think it does the trick like in your experience like as you like bludgeon people with it do they get the point eventually have you in person yes but uh yes. what what uh what so yeah let me i guess why i wanted to talk about this recently is because i'm uh i was on reddit as i mentioned and you know unfortunately i guess um <laughs> and uh it was on the r slash climate which i don't follow but just like kind of showed up on the feed yeah. when i was like on the top page know, or something yeah wherever i was like sitting on the couch just like scroll you know scrolling wasting my life and uh, <laughs> I saw, and i saw this post that was like we should sit in r slash climate which i imagine is filled with uh people who feel very strongly that they don't love oil um and the article that they shared was we should sue the fossil fuel industry we should sue them uh for i don't even i didn't I mean, I read the article. Uh, I forget who wrote it, um, which site it was published on. But does it really you know, matter? Does yeah. it really matter? The thesis is fossil fuel companies are ruining the planet. Fossil fuel companies are polluting tons of carbon, and you know, plus all the other environmental issues, let alone the, the climate issues of, of carbon emissions. And uh, climate change is bad, and there are bad consequences. What do you do when someone hurts you? <laughs> and you know. In America, yeah. you sue them. You sue them. So the logically, the only thing we do to these bad, bad people who are causing you know harm uh, to the world and to us is to sue them. And I just, yeah. I, I, I read this and I saw, and you know, I probably wouldn't have been triggered if I didn't like open the comments and started reading all the comments of all these self-assured people being like, yeah, that'll teach. Like they've been, they've had it too good for too long. They're making billions of dollars. And like, while the world burns, like these are the worst people in the world, worst companies in the world. And I just thought to myself, like who, like, and I, I immediately took it to Anya and we just started laughing about it because I was just like, 
who in these people's world and worldview in these people's minds who are exxon and bp and shell selling to are they just digging this shit up and just sending it to fucking mars and making money off of it yeah some like, sort where's of the, conspiracy where where are the billions of dollars in revenues that like are funding these profits like who's giving them that money <laughs> like so. Do, are they uncovering piles of cash alongside the oil that they're burning yeah. that they just like that was just buried by some previous generation like yeah. you, and so you just start you you roll it back and you just start and and I actually commented in this thread and so I've probably made like six comments on Reddit in my life oh no and, I and did, did you did you hit him did you hit him with you I love hit, the I oil did, companies I said you love oil <laughs> I did say you love oil, <laughs> and then I dropped all of this stuff that you were just mentioning. I said, okay, you know, these companies are, you know, obviously it's shitty that we're, we are burning this much oil as a society, that there is, yeah. you know, climate change is bad, the environment's collapsing, food security sucks, like, there's a million things that are going wrong, and it's easy to look at the oil companies as the source of the problem. They are selling to you, everything in your home is made out of oil, every piece of plastic, all the ga- obviously the gas in your car, every piece of furniture, even if it's wood, was machined by something that consumes oil, burns oil, and then shipped on a truck that burns oil. And then you mentioned fertilizer, where it's like without oil to make fertilizer, or you know natural gas or um, you know fossil fuels, um, we could support a population of like a billion, maybe less, maybe yeah. three hundred, like <laughs> three hundred, yeah. like five hundred million people on the planet. So there's six hundred, six and a half billion people walking around who are only alive because of the oil that makes like fertilizer, uh, yeah. let alone the power grid, let alone the private jets, the entertainment industry, the Super Bowl shows, the you know all the luxury goods in your home, all the stuff you don't need. Even I mean, like, yeah, and for the environmentalists, an what are you making your art with? You're painting with oil paints. Your uh, acrylics <laughs> no, made of oil. You got sculptures that you're burning fuel to make. You know. Yeah. Like, well, all, you know, a lot of a lot of like you know a lot of people are like outdoors enthusiasts, and it's like they go hiking in like all these synthetic plastics, and their skis <laughs> yeah. are you know, and it's like all oh, they go skiing, and they like like take the ski lift up, and they ski down, and all their synthetic plastics on their like machine skied like nice skis, and it's like then they take the the the, the, the uh, lift back up, and they do it again over and over again, and it's like yeah, and so that's just, like what I when I read this thread, and I'm just like, okay, so let's just play this out. Let's just say, yeah, we we got uh, we got the best attorneys in the world, and we did it. We sued oil, we sued big oil, and you know what? We crushed them. You know, we got a hundred, we got a couple hundred billion dollars out of them. What are we gonna do with that money? Where does that money yeah. go? That money then goes to buy more fucking oil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And guess what? The oil's now more expensive. <laughs> Because yeah. they, they just got sued. Well, I mean, I think this I, I think the to bring it also to recent events is like the spike in gas prices and the spike in you know like the the, the energy price crisis that followed from the war in Ukraine and has like kind of had all these implications all through the global economy, inflation, destabilizing political po- political regimes, you know, ac- across the world. Um, Sri Lanka being the most well-known one, but I think in general, it's like a, it's a shock of instability. It just points to the degree to which like oil as the input for like all of the entire world order. Um, it's just like a textbook example. Like, and that was, that wasn't like getting rid of oil. That was just increasing the price of oil more you know, per barrel, per barrel, but you know, by like 25% over the course of a month or like, yeah. you know, maybe 50% over the course of a couple, a month or two. Right. And like, 
it would it's incredibly destabilizing. Like it's just changed the political landscape in, in the U.S. It's changed the political landscape everywhere, um, and that's just like the most marginal price fluctuation. Yeah. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's not marginal in the, in the scheme of day to day fluctuations, but it's marginal in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, in the grand scheme and, um, of all prices. Of and it just, I mean, it's like not to say that you know. And so, of course, of course, we know all the count. I mean, I and I think it's important to say like you and I are have worked in the energy industry. We know all about clean energy. We know all about the renewables. I love how they it. Work. I actually love you know, solar like, too. <laughs> you know, I love. Yeah, it's like oh great, I love wind power too. It's all it's all well and good, but the. Um, you know how they make just, solar panels? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, of course, like, you know, my, my favorite topic right now is, like, the mining, the race for mining, like, mineral rights. And Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, generally speaking, in the glo- what you would call the global south, so, like, it's, like, Africa, mostly, I mean, mostly like, sub-Saharan Africa, um, South America, Chile, Argentina, Bolivia, um, some in Australia. But basically, it's, like, all of these countries are where all these minerals are, and it's like a, it's a it's a it's a land rush for to secure these all the minerals that are going to go into and metals that are going to go into building a gazillion batteries and a gazillion solar panels. All of which is going to be done through oil-based machinery and capital <laughs> oh, yeah. and infrastructure, and, and, and it's, you know yeah, and it's just so it's um, I you know so I guess what I would say is um. The scale, the it it takes you from a position of like certainty about what is right to one of like significant humility, humility, and it's like even if you know. So it's not to say that you and I are sitting here saying that we love oil and all all these people are silly. Therefore, climate change isn't real, or therefore, environmental right. degradation isn't real. Therefore, like food chain and food insecurity isn't going to become an issue. Um, there, like therefore, like I don't like get deeply sad about like sort of like the the destabilized environments that I see every day and live in every day. Um, that's all real too. And it just, it just is, I think you have to live in that world in order to have any sense of like the truth of the world. Like, I mean, I, I guess just say you have to be able to hold both these things together at the same time. If you're going to have any sense of like how to create a ethic or politics that is dealing with the world as it is rather than in some delusional land. And um, yeah, yeah, and totally. I and it's re- and it's just remarkable the degree to which um, that is like a tiny, tiny minority of the participants that we you know we see on a day to day basis, or you hear but you hear from on a day to day basis. And I don't know if that's intentional. I don't know if that's um, you know I, I wonder if you know to if a lot of a lot more people kind of understand this. And I, by by people I mean obviously you know average folks but also sort of like the political and media actors that have platforms and voices like i wonder if more people understand this and have just swallowed it and still have decided to pick a side and just ignore it um you know you and i sit here and like insist on like truth and insist on like stating and dealing with the facts as they are and i wonder how many people have just like uh subliminated them and like kind of just like submerged them and moved on Picked aside. That's yeah. I'm, I'm curious yeah, what you my, think. Like, to what? My, what yeah. How do you? Ra- what? Where do? You, why do you think people like struggle with this or don't understand this? Like, where do you think it comes from? I think my my temperature check on I guess like the public or whatever is for for most people. There, we still live in a like a technocratic um, 
like there's the there's hope there's still hope and optimism in technocrats fixing mm. problems and so i think people really either out of a sense of desperation or out of uh hope or just ignorance or whatever or propaganda or, or the way our economy is set up or whatever they are deeply invested in the idea that we can invent invent our way out of these problems that we can you know just invest in you know solar and wind and storage and you know grid optimizing software um, and create a a world where carbon emissions are you know off whatever carbon emissions the global economy produces uh, they are offset by you know normal photosynthesis essentially yeah. so that we are okay. at best like net negative and yet yeah. somehow are still living like we are today and not only yeah. that i think most people believe that we can then extend that to the rest of the world i think if yeah. you poll most americans uh who are on the left they think that the only reason we haven't rolled out the green economy uh is because of greed is because yeah. of the people who want you know like oil companies and i don't want to discount the fact that well obviously it is actually, companies it's, it like, is exactly that it, it it's just it's not the greed of rich people it's, it's like the, the greed it, it might be. Our, i mean they're there it, too it's, right companies they're there too. are lobbying but it's your greed it's my greed it's all of yeah, the, it's, it's, like, the, it's it's the demand it's people only want to consider the supply side of the equation they don't want to yeah. consider the demand side they don't want to consider the fact that go that like you know eating a mango in new york city is absolutely <laughs> absurd mangoes don't grow in new york and they certainly yeah. don't grow in new york in winter and if you yeah, are or having like, a mango flown from costa rica to your city to the, you just for your your sake of enjoyment like you are an absurd person if you think that there is any sustainable way that we can deliver mangoes to anyone every, seven billion people in the world on demand <laughs> like you are out of your mind and you haven't actually considered the scale of the problem and that's yeah. i think is like it's it's both a a deep wish that it's a supply side thing and a hope that we can keep living the way we do and it's also i think a little naivete around the scale of the problem which i think is mm -hmm. immense immense okay but, so yeah so i think i agree yeah, I, I i see where you're taking this sentiment i think this is where you're you are almost taking up a position right now on what i would say like among the various people that accept climate change as a thing or and sort of environmental degradation writ large however you want to characterize it because i think there's a, a whole series of other ways to think about like environmental degradation beyond just climate change right um but let's just say in the environment the environment writ large uh there's a whole series of camps who th of i guess i'd say political ideology that sort of have different perspectives on how to address that problem and right um in in, in the stance you've just taken you sort of like i think taken up a what taken up a position um, so before we get into that and before we start divvying up these responses and these potential ways of um, like once you accept the fact that the environmental degradation is, is there uh, is a real thing and you don't just like dismiss it out of hand and then and it's really be bad. and be accept the nature of uh, our economy like the industrial fact of like how all the inputs work um, the question is, 
what's left um, for for those you know for the, for those people who have accepted both those facts. And I guess this is where I think we we, we feel like Wendell Berry has something to say, whether or not we think it's an, a final answer. I'm well, I'll be curious how we how we come down on that. But do we, do we want to introduce introduce his essay now? Yeah, yeah. I do, I maybe just want to do like just. 30 more seconds real quick on this is just because I think you, you just kind of illustrated like, yeah, there are different perspectives within these communities. And I think what's really interesting is because I work in energy still. And so, you you know, I'm, you know, uh, as my day job, I spend most of my time helping the green capital try to build projects like renewable <laughs> projects like that. And or at least that's the, the goal of like, um, Presumably, that's the, the, you know, we're building software that might help green capital build projects indirectly. Who knows, right? Yeah. And, but that's a lie we all tell ourselves is that, oh, if we just like tweak the investment structure or if we just make it easy, we, if we streamline the market screening process or we, you know, make feasibility studies or transmission systems a little more flexible, make the studies a little more reproducible, a little more scalable, a little more automated, we'll be able to like, get this development pipeline, get these solar panels flying off the shelves and get, you know, and wind turbines and batteries. And we're just going to revolutionize the grid. And that's like the capital perspective. And I think that's the perspective most of the developed world is taking to address the climate crisis. Because I think many of the governments, US, Europe, and, um, and in, you know, Asia as well, you know, like China, Japan, uh, Korea, like they're taking more of that approach uh, you sent me an, a very funny uh, video, and I only watched like 10 minutes out of the hour or whatever, of like eco-socialists who I think are completely in, are in complete disagreement about a method for solving this problem and are, are more in, I don't, I don't really understand their position exactly, but I guess it's some sort of revolution, socialist revolution, <laughs> and take all the money from the, the evil companies and then you know empower the workers to build the same types of green. So they, I think they want the same type of, you know, modern grid or green grid and, you know, electric vehicles. And they just want it with capital redistribution. And, you know, so, and then I would say, so that those are two, I guess, approaches. I mean, there's probably a lot in between. I'd say my position, because you, you kind of indicated that I have one, I, before we get into the essay, I would say my position right now, and it changes month to month, year to year, of course, is I don't want to call myself a climate nihilist, but um, kind of don't really buy that there is a solution because of some pretty um, innate human, like aspects of, of, of human character. Uh, which is what this essay is about. It's about human yeah, so character. I, I, yeah. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about what you just said, but I want to do it after, Okay. As, okay. A, in response I'll, I'll to Wendell Barrett. Okay. Because so, I, think, I yeah. think that's exactly where, you know, yeah, fine. Okay, so let's, let's let, I'll let you introduce this essay, and then we'll, we'll come back to that point, which is, I guess you described as climate nihilism, so I'll be We'll get yeah, and, and that's probably a little too dark. I'd say it's something a little because there's there's more to it than that. But um, maybe climate absurdism. I guess that's 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 my my current ideology. Yeah, ecological absurdism. absurdism. Yeah, eco absurdism. Eco absurdism. <laughs> yeah, I think that's me for sure. <laughs> okay. Um, so I like yeah, Wendell one. Berry. Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry is a farmer, um, and that's how he would describe himself. And he, I think he, I think he's still alive, um, but he's 
mostly wrote, I think, in the from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. He's a writer as well. Um, I think, you know, he lives in Kentucky. He owns a small plot of land, and he wrote a ton of essays. And he is such an incredible writer. <laughs> I don't know how else to, like, he's, he's an incredible writer, not because of, like, his, um, you know, ability to wordsmith or anything, or, like, his, uh, um, you know, it, the delicate rhetoric he uses or his use of metaphor, but because he's just really incisive. And I think he just, by nature of his work, as uh, someone who works on the land, growing food for his family and for other families, has a really unique perspective that you don't really get to hear uh, with such incisive uh, language. And Yeah, it's, it's sort of incisive, yeah. but also very like... Um, it's it's very simple and sort of a, it, it yeah. is it's like vonnegut it, in a way like simple truths yeah. it's know? very simple truths and laid out very humbly and but the f- cum- cumulative force of them is like, sort of de- you know devastating it's like it's yeah. like you <laughs> yeah. you know it's just like nothing no one sentence has any remarkable rhetorical flourish or right. you know some ex- exceeding cleverness it's just simple truth after simple truth coming from like a man who's lived a simple life and is insistent on speaking and writing truths and they and the cumulative effect is uh is powerful totally yeah and he so also the, writes also writes poetry by the way and has written some novels um oh i didn't his, know that his poetry his, either yeah his poetry is is something is really is really good it's you know it's christian inflected and i think it's um it's pretty moving Oh, okay. So I'd recommend it. Yeah, out. yeah. I don't know if I'm going to read a Wendell Berry novel, but I'll, I definitely would read a Wendell Berry poem. <laughs> oh, you don't read Make 'em Ups now? No, I love Make 'em Ups. I just read a, the new, the, one of the other, the Three Body Problem guy. He wrote another book that I read. It was fine. We're not going to do an um, episode on it. Um, so this essay. So this essay is called "The Ecological Crisis as a Crisis of Character," and or. Uh, when was this written? That's important. Uh, let's see. I have the, the copyright. Uh, 1977. 1977. Okay. Perfect. Published Published also, evidently, according to the copy I'm looking at, by Sierra Club Books. Awesome. That's incredible. Because uh, this essay starts by just absolutely um, just undercutting the Sierra Club. Um, so, yeah, so it's the ecological crisis as a crisis of character. He has a, a follow-up essay that we're not going to talk about uh, called The Ecological Crisis as a Crisis of Agriculture, where I think he mm-hmm. actually gets into, like, the land and our relationship to it. But this one is really, it's very uh, related to the, the you love oil sentiment, I think. And so he talks about, I'll just briefly, we'll walk through it, um, but, you know, in summary, he starts by talking about kind of the absurdity of living in a world that's falling apart and how that makes individuals feel, <laughs> I think. Um, and then he, I think, has a diagnosis uh, around what that problem is in our society that, that kind of creates, you know, I think, weak and, uh, you know, destructive individuals and companies and organizations. And he, he really attributes a lot of it to specialization and the over-specialization of our society. Um, and he walks through like the problem with over a specialized economy filled with specialists, both on the individual and on the, the country itself. 
and more, most importantly, on the land and on the world. And again, this is written in the 70s. So this is, I mean, he probably knew about climate change. I think people were talking about it a little bit back then, but this is someone who's just, is watching the world fall apart. And I think if you put him right now in 2022, I, I don't think he would change a single word of this essay. And it's amazing how much this resonates 50 years later. Um, yeah, agreed. And so, yeah, so he, re- he says, this is the problem. This is, uh, this is how it impacts people. This is how it impacts societies. And ultimately, like, what do we do? Like, how can we, how can we deal with this? Uh, how, what can any one person do? And what I love about Wendell Berry is he ties almost all of his essays back to what can, like, I do in the face of this larger thing? What can you do in this face of this larger thing? Um, so yeah, I thought it was a beautiful essay. It's pretty short. We'll link to it in the, the episode um, somehow. I'll, I'll link to the book of essays and you can find it if you're interested in reading it. Um, but yeah, we could step through it. So I mean, do you want, do you want to, do you have a quote in the beginning that, uh, you know, kind of jumps out to you when, when yeah, I mean, I think, I think that the, the, the winner is, um, Sierra, he, he, you know, he, he highlights Sierra club who got exposed for owning stocks and they're in, you know, their, I guess, endowment or their investment portfolio of all the money that gets given to them owning stocks and energy companies. Sounds like um, Sierra club it, loves oil. Yeah, <laughs> turns out. And of course, it's the 70s, I guess. So, you know, yeah. the divestment like kind of culture hadn't occurred then, you know, so, the, so they've since tweaked that policy to resolve this, which he kind of fork he foresees later in the essay. He's, um, but basically, hit the, the winning the winning line there in, the, in this opening uh, opening paragraph is the conservation groups were behaving with a very ordinary consistency. They were only doing as organizations what many of their members were and are doing as individuals. They were making convenience of enterprises that they knew to be morally and even practic- practically indefensible. Um, so I'd say that, but you know, in that sense, it's like, yeah, like they are partaking in a system, even though they know that system to be um, destructive. And this is not a. It might be an oopsie by the Sierra Club, but it's not surprising, right? It's like yeah, it's, it, it's obvious it's an, that it's, they would. It's make an this inevitable. Mistake. Yeah, and it's inevitable. It's inevitable that they make this this mistake, and even if they correct this mistake, it's they, they're not actually correcting the the larger structure because they're going to keep making the mistakes some of their money is going to keep going to oil right like someone's going to keep paying these oil companies as we said at the beginning like where does the oil companies billions of dollars come from it comes from us the consumer of oil which is the consumer of all and any good um and all and any any goods so even if they divest they're still going to be funding the bad the bad guys because they're still going to be consuming as an organization because we're Um, all bad guys yeah, and yeah. I, I'm going to have a hard time not reading like every, almost every quote, but like immediately after that, I'm just going to read the next part because I love this. And uh, yeah. is, He says, We are dealing then with an absurdity that is not a quirk or an accident, but is fundamental to, the, to our character as a people. The, the talking about the Sierra Club really just is a, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, but that's really, it's something that's happening everywhere to all of us and can be expected. The split between what we think and what we do is profound. <laughs> It is not yeah. just possible, it is altogether to be expected that our society would produce conservationists who invest in strip mining companies 
just as it must inevitably produce asthmatic executives whose industries pollute the air and vice presidents of pesticide corporations whose children are dying of cancer. Um, and like it's, he just hits you with it like right up the front. It just is like, yeah, like the, and, and the split between what we think and what we do is profound. And I think that goes to the climate change. That's the you love oil thing. That's the art slash climate yep. people being like, let's just sue the oil companies and the problem goes away. It's like, what we think and what we do is um, there's a like unbridgeable gulf between those things in our society and it will within all of us. And, and I think Barry attributes that a lot to how we structure society that creates people yeah. who cannot possibly understand like how their ideas connect to their actions. Yeah. And well, and he, and he, you know, he goes on to say, well, nobody's free of this himself yeah. included and i think is the point we you know we're conscious of is neither are we like we i love oil you love oil you the listener love oil we all love oil um but so there's no use dividing the world up into saints and sinners in in, in this sort of question but there but he insists that like kind of an that there's no need like you can't abandon all distinctions there are legitimate distinctions to be made there there is a uh, there is an ethic out there um, by which you can distinguish between people. And so there's, there's sort of a distinction of degree, which is like, to what degree do you consume? Like, so and, like, and waste, the pe- and, you know, yeah, contribute and waste, you know, it's like, so that, yeah. and that's fairly obvious in terms of measurement. Like there's people who are richer, who have lots of cars and consume more. And those people who are poorer and consume less. And those people who are rich, who consume less than they could consume, which is to be applauded to whatever degree that they do. Um, and there's always more to there's always more that you can consume less, right? There's like there's always more there. There's but, always another so paper straw. There's this distinction in degree, but I think the more interesting bit is what he would describe as the uh, what is he the the um, uh, the, the consciousness of the, the distinction in consciousness. So, right. which is those who are more or less conscious of their destructiveness than others. So. Um, and and I think the what his agenda and his sort of ethic flows from that point. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I think he uh, he's yeah, he's just like it's a it's a massive problem. He's again in the '70s before all the climate change stuff is everywhere. Just recognizing this is a massive problem. The way we've built a society so fragile, um, and we're all guilty. Which and we need to be honest about that. And only by being honest about that can we even attempt to reconcile the difference between our thoughts and our actions in the world? And I love that he says that there's no group of extra intelligent or extra concerned or extra virtuous that is exempt. I cannot think of any American whom I know or have heard of who is not contributing in some way to destruction. The reason is simple. To To live undestructively in an economy that is overwhelmingly destructive would require of any of us or any small group of us a great deal more work than we have yet been able to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, I and then and then he goes on to attribute this to specialization, right? To kind of skip ahead a bit here, but he attributes this inevitability of destructiveness, the the degree to which it's inescapable, to the fact that we are so specialized that none of us can take care of ourselves. Therefore, we are forced to rely as consumers on the rest of the world, and that there's no choice. There's no real choice in our ability to consume. We're, you know, we're basically structured into consuming because of the way that the economy has divided us up into like perfectly specialized cogs. 
yeah it's, it's right at yeah. the show title exactly yeah the specialization is the problem and i love it's like specialists are useless that's his that's his opinion it sounds like is that and i'm just i'm gonna hit more a quote but it's like i don't know if you'd have i don't know if you take that opinion but i i want um useless in the world useless in like yeah. in 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 a world of specialists oh, right. they're very useful but right. you're useless in the world like i think right. he actually yeah. says that like you yeah, have no, he, no exactly like you have no well he says like the most survive. <laughs> what does he say he's like uh the most the stupidest peasant or tribesman is more competent than the most intelligent worker or technician in yeah. the intellectual society so I, I have to hit a few quotes from the specialization piece because he says like uh so the first and known and best known hazard of specialist system is it produce specialists people who who are elaborately and expensively trained to do one thing we get into absurdity very quickly here there are, for instance, educators who have nothing to teach, communicators who have nothing to say, medical doctors skilled at expensive cures for diseases that they have no skill and no interest in preventing. More common and more damaging, shout out to Green Capital, are the inventors, manufacturers, and salesmen of devices who have no concern for the possible effects of those devices. Specialization is thus seen to be a way of institutionalizing, justifying, and paying highly for a calamitous, a calamitous disintegration and scattering out of the various functions of character workmanship care conscience and responsibility um yeah yeah i mean so I'm, I'm, yeah yeah i'm curious if have you heard of the concept in the economics the division of labor yeah i guess so yeah, like maybe not the textbook definition but yeah but yeah so like you know if you go study neo uh, not neoliberal but neoclassical like the classic economic uh, authors, Adam Sterling and Adam Smith, and sort of like the sort of like classical framework for understanding the economy, um, and like free markets, and um, you might call it capitalism. You might say those things are distinct. Whatever. The point is, it's the division of labor that allows uh, trade to expand, and allows for and which the division of labor meaning the dividing up of tasks into more and more specialized individuals who are specialized at that task and can thus do it better and therefore produce more and so that the that the economy however you want to measure it however the you want pie to gets bigger it, for everyone the pie gets bigger for everybody because it's the division of labor and it's the division of labor successively expanding in generation and generation and generation that has allowed us to get technically more advanced and you know consume more and you know so on on the side of economics like tip wendell berry aside this economics the division of labor is key that's how you grow that's how modern the modern world has come to be that's how the modern industrial society and post-industrial society and technicals you know techno whatever you want to call a society today exists is like this increasingly ever more increasingly fine-tuned division of labor which Wendell Berry points out I'm not sure if he's familiar with that like economic background but like he nails it and points out exactly what's going on from his perspective as a farmer, that specialization makes you unable to do all the other things that's important in, to a life. Like all you can do is your specialization and you create a, a world full of people that can't do anything else. All they, all they have is their specialization for which they earn money and then they can use that money to consume to like to make one's life work to entertain mm. themselves yeah yeah and to consume according to this according to the dictates of specialists in every other field of life that's necessary to live so consume food according to the dictates of the specialists in the field of agribusiness and at, you know mass industrial farming and mass and you know and log logistics and consume entertainment according to the dictates of 
the entertainment specialist and to consume housing according to the dictates of housing specialists and to consume yeah. transportation according to the dictates of transportation specialists. So like your whole life is basically earning money for your specialization and then shelling out money to various other specialists. Yeah. And therefore and you you lose your ability to be provide for yourself. And it's not just provide for yourself in the physical sense, although I think that's critical. That is a critical yep. point. Is yeah. like being able to make your own food, being able to like grow some portion of your own food. He's a farmer, so that's obviously it's isn't it amazing? I mean, do you ever just reflect on I know like America simultaneously I feel like America simultaneously has this this like myth of the American farmer that I think the Republicans tend to like trumpet out a lot more um, than than Democrats. Um, and then the Democrats just seem to ignore, but neither really actually appreciate the fact that like literally like <laughs> it's like Everything comes for everything stops if the food doesn't stop, uh, continue coming out of the ground. Yeah, like everything, no, my dad, my, it's the foundation recently, of the whole of of seven billion people. The food needs to keep coming. And again, you brought up Ukraine. Ukraine on the oil side, but also on the food security side, right? Oh, like, yeah, the grain. Yeah, yeah. You got whole continents of starving people because one country isn't growing or isn't able to like sell food yeah. that they're growing. Yeah, and it's, it's it's so it's so it's classic markets where it's like it doesn't need to be everything it's just like on the margin like that small like marginal like failure of a certain crop or a certain set of shipments out of one like you know the black sea for example just destabilizes the the grain economy on a global scale right it's like the prices have gone up everywhere so it's just like destabilized the entire world there's protests everywhere you go because of the fuel and food prices and and um, i think it's like it's the so and so it's yeah. also to that point just just to continue on that there's a i came across this recently it's called the i think it's called the nine nine meal rule which is that there's only nine meals that separates like a very well-behaved citizen from like a violent uh mob <laughs> participant right like the next nine meals right it takes nine meals nine missed yeah. meals for someone to become like the most compliant citizen and comfortable citizen and you know compliant to the state to being one that's ready to like commit violence and go march in the streets and you know be a revolutionary and that's it's only nine meals it's like that's all it separates and and from a whole mass of people from being a mass of people that are like ready to like overthrow government um to your point the food is is everything the food is everything, but and and there's so that's like there's the physical piece of like you know yep. we're we're very disconnected from our food, right? We're very disconnected from our homes, most of us. You know, even if you've done some like some repairs around your home or even like a renovation, you've probably hired specialists to do the wiring or to do the plumbing. And let's say yeah, you know how to wire a house, you know how to plumb a house and stuff. Like you're still working with uh, particle board or or uh, you know. Um, drywall, and tool. Uh, yeah, yeah, all this stuff that's produced in you know thousands or hundreds of hundreds of different like cities and countries, um, shipped all over the world to your local Home Depot or, or you know supply store to get your screws of the perfectly machined size so that you can then provide for yourself. And it's pretty yeah. far removed from I think he does, you know Wendell Berry. I don't think needs or cares about the evolutionary history of man. But if you do think about, uh, you know, the hundreds of thousands of years that we lived as a species and that we evolved, the conditions we evolved under, not only was there no specialist, I mean, there were people who had aptitudes, right, within a, a unit, 
maybe someone mm-hmm. who's better at hunting than someone else or and then did more of that type of labor but everyone knew how to like feed themselves and everyone and or, or, or and or communities organized and, like and families organized that on like kind of like small scales right there was like maybe specialization at a very, very like I think I wouldn't even call it specialization at that level though, right? It's more of just yeah, Yeah. communal sharing of responsibilities. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I tend to agree that though. I'm not an anthropologist, so I won't I I would assume that's the way it worked, but I but I would agree the you know, the degree to which like current specialization is uh very unique unique or you might say or unnatural. Unnatural, yeah. Um and fragile. It's unnatural and fragile and I think spiritually Kind of. Weird. So I guess I I really love that part of the essay where he he connects that fact to sort of like the general anxiety, yeah, of of modern of modern man, of the modern person. Let's just say, uh, to update the language for this era. Um, um, Do you guys yeah. get a quote from that? Because he said, yeah, because that's because I mean it's like I, it's remarkable that he diagnosed it so ex- exceedingly well then and it's like it's only grown more grotesque in terms of the scale of like uh what we might call the mental health crisis or like the mass uh mental instability and uh, i guess spiritual like suck of, yeah. of the current world you know of, our, of the you know let's just say like maybe not the current world of like the kind of like the generation that you and i comp- comprise in you know, comprise a uh, represent. You know, you might say millennials and and the younger half of the the population in the U.S. today, just like devastatingly um, hollowed out. And uh, where is this section? Let's just. See. Oh, I got, I got you. Uh, but yeah, you got it? It, yeah. And so, it, yeah, I agree. Though it's like millennials, I think, are the most representative of this. But I think it's and obviously I, this has been a, a centuries long march towards. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, know. I, I just, it's just. I haven't heard this approach to that. You know, I've heard a million different explanations for why, you know, you know, God is dead. And that's why, you know, there's a million explanations for like all that, this like general unease with life and existence. And, um, but this is a new one that I hadn't heard. It's like this explanation. Yeah. And so I'll get the the good quote on the, this is like, so just the context is the beneficiary of the specialist regime of is they, you ought to be the happiest of all mortals. Right, because, right, or so we are expected to believe, because all of your concerns are in the hand of certified experts, and you are a certified expert yourself, and earn more money in a year than all your great grandparents put together. The fact is, however, that this is probably the most unhappy average citizen in the history of the world. He has not the power to provide himself with anything but money, and his money is inflating like a balloon and drifting away. Hilarious uh, in the current climate. Uh, subject to historical circumstances and the power of other people from morning to night he does not touch anything that he has produced himself in which he can take pride for all his leisure and recreation he feels bad he looks bad he is overweight his health is poor his air water and food are all known to contain poisons there is a fair chance that he will die of suffocation he suspects that his love life is not as fulfilling as other people's he wishes that he had been born sooner or later he does not know why his children are the way they are. He does not understand what they say. He does not care much and does not know why he does not care. Um, yeah. And so then yeah. he just... And it go, got, it yeah. goes on. It goes on. And, on. on. 
And he's, it's oh, devastating. He, he doesn't know and what I mean, to do if he lost his job, if the economy failed, if the utility companies failed, if the police went on strike, blah, blah, blah. It is rarely considered that this average citizen is anxious because he ought to be. He ought to be anxious yeah. because he is helpless, that he is dependent yeah. upon so many specialists. He has one chance yeah. to live what he conceives to be his life, his own small specialty within a delicate, tense, everywhere strained system of specialties. Bro. Yeah. I mean, it, bro. And- <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's de- like, yeah, it's rarely considered that the average citizen is anxious because he ought to be, you know, because they ought to, you know, it's like, it's like, why are you anxious? Oh, no, it's because your chemicals are unbalanced or, oh, no, because, <laughs> yeah. you know, like trauma, microaggressions like, or, or yeah. and it's like, yeah, no, climate anxiety. It's like, no, bad relationship. You're anxious you is because therapy. like you live on like the most you you literally are like survival and from a survival standpoint in a very delicate and anxiety inducing position and your body's trying to tell you <laughs> uh, and, and you know that that's remarkable i just haven't kind of i it's obviously it's it's wendell berry and it makes perfect sense because of the way he just delivers it with the most simple truth and but uh Dude, I it's, love the reduction of your life as like, and this is when people are like, what's the purpose of life? Because it gets into like the existential crises that people run into. You look at like Jeff Bezos building this big clock that's going to be for 10,000 years out in the desert in West Texas. Just like everyone trying to come up with some meaning in their life. And I, I love this description of, of, of like how, how small it is. It's like you have one chance to live what you conceive to be your life. And it's your own small specialty within a delicate tense everywhere strange system of specialties that's like yeah. it's honestly so brutal to read is like yeah whatever you do in your career even if you're doing something that's like you know quote like more meaningful like you're an mm-hmm. artist right you are specialized to produce art and every other aspect of your life you are useless you are helpless and maybe you can maybe you can cook maybe you can grow maybe you're growing some tomatoes right like i'm not i don't want to come across like everyone is one dimensional cuz obviously it's a little hyperbolic but it's pretty close to the nine meal situation. Like if society collapsed, how many people would would die within the first like week? Ninety uh, yeah. percent, like most people, right? Like especially like if all the trappings of society, if we all just were in the natural world, uh, yeah. with, and all society was gone, what would the population immediately collapse to? How many of us raised in this way, in this type of ecosystem, in this type of you know, climate, society, economy. How many of us would be able to just like build a hut, like eat the right things, hunt the right things without guns and all this, like, and just and live? Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, none of us, um, and some of us would, and and that's terrifying. <laughs> but and it's yeah, it's anxiety inducing. But I, I think also, I, I, my question to you then is, okay, let's accept this, and society isn't going to collapse no matter how much some some of us you know wish to see it all burn down. Um, and you know, whatever you know, however many of us wanted to see a violent revolution and you know a new world order predicated on social justice or socialism, or blah blah blah, it's not going to happen. It's just going to continue to chug along. Um, you know, the present is already pregnant with the future. It's going to just proceed. And uh, so the question then I I think is what is you know what is one to do? Um, and Insofar as society is not going to collapse, it doesn't make sense for you to just become a a, a generalist. You know, can right. you build your own? You know, but um, what, what what do you take out of this? What, you know, and I guess you know we can skip towards the end of this where Wendell Berry kind of like kind of presents his his position on you know what how we ought to proceed or how an individual ought to proceed. Um, 
and then I'm curious what if you think that's a compelling answer to like the the whole com- cumulative kind of presentation of the climate crisis, the fact that we love oil, and the degree to which Wendell and, and the way that Wendell Berry has kind of highlighted the, the, our our own sort of structured uh, we're structured to to partake in it, you know, or we're structurally specialized in a way that we can't escape, you know, our complicity. Um, and so what do we make of that? Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll let you like present Bear, Wendelberry's position on this. And then I'm curious to see what you think of that. Yeah. Well, I think he, I, I think, to argue. Yeah. I think as he gets, as he gets to the end, there's two things I think he draws on. One is, um, and he critiques like the Sierra Club's uh, motto around protecting like scenic places. So he critiques throughout the essay like our distinction between ourselves and the environment, uh, mm-hmm. and and not recognizing that we are a part of the environment. So kind of like the interconnectedness of all things type of thing. But it's obviously like you know whenever you think about like yeah the world out there and don't consider yourself in it just because you're in your little uh, drywall home. Um, that breaking down that uh, illusion is really critical to being able to live in you know it more I think honestly with with how the world is, and then I think he talks about um, you know he contrasts like consumer rights with consumer responsibilities and how our society yeah. talks a lot about consumer rights but not about what is the responsibility of the consumer. Because a responsibility right. is not something that you can just uh, get rid of and offload to a specialist. You either fail it or you fulfill it. And a responsible consumer, if you start thinking about your responsibility as a consumer, you actually develop a sense of freedom. By being able to say no to either buying things or you know eating food that's not grown in your environment or watering your lawn in a fucking drought in central Texas, which is something I, we, we started calling these people sprinkler heads uh, in our neighborhood because it's like a particular type of sick psychopath who like is watering a lawn in a desert in a drought. But, um, uh, but it's just absolutely absurd. But I think you got to break, breaking down this type of behavior in your own world, recognizing, hey, you're part of the world uh, of your local climate and ecology. And uh, you have an obligation on the soil on which you walk, you know, to, to treat it kindly and to try to live, um, I don't know, I think a little more humbly and a little more responsibly. And so part of that means like, yeah, honoring the seasons, not eating fish in central Texas, not eating uh, fruit in the winter, you know, um, and trying and honoring the, the, the water conditions or um you know, all, all this type of stuff taking, you know, it's the degree of damage you do. If you take responsibility for the fact that I will never be a carbon free person, I will never not love oil, but I can love, I can love it a little less. And if you love it, let it go. You know, that's kind of the motto is like, can you let go of some of the oil? Can you in your own life reduce as lo- as much as possible? and break down um, and be honest about it. And I think try to develop as a, maybe not a generalist, but as a responsible human living in as a part of the world. And I think that means trying to engage in growing your own food as much as possible. Um, I kind of, I'm kind of just going back in circles, but I think that's, that's kind of but, my sense of it, of, yeah. and, of and how yeah, I think you that's, respond to this. And that's Wendell Berry's study. He's like, you know, basically yeah. you gotta be a responsible consumer and, and, and in doing so, 
you are not only reducing your degree of dependence on on the system and uh, you are not you're broadening your degree of your specialization you're kind of expanding your own freedom your freedom which is in a, in a, yes and which is in a, in a, like, in choosing to consume less you're actually expanding your freedom right um and I think also that, and then of course he, he comes towards the very end, which I, I'm curious to see what you think about this though. He's like, although responsible use may be defined, advocated, and to some extent required by organizations, it cannot be implemented or enacted by them. It cannot be effectively enforced by them. The use of the world is finally a personal matter and the world can be preserved in health only by the forbearance and care of a multitude of persons. Um, and, and to that to, to that extent, it's like, and I guess his answer to the climate crisis, the environment under degradation, is it will never cease until individuals cease to wantonly consume, to irresponsibly consume, to not think honestly and hardly about everything that they consume and where it comes from and why they're consuming it and do they need it. Um, and so he takes this sort of like bottom up ethical like individual yeah. ethic based approach to all these problems recognizing that it's incremental and that it's not complete and i don't think he would ever like you know say oh we need to like you need to you know he's a farmer and he still used metal tools where did the metal tools come from wendell um right uh so you know i it's it's hard to know to what degree he's kind of advocating like a complete disentanglement of modern society and a complete return to like um to sustenance farming, right? Yeah, I don't. I don't think he's. he's it's that like, type of I don't think he has an agenda. I don't yeah. think he has an agenda. But um, so okay. So if he doesn't have that agenda and he's not advocating for that world, but he's still advocating for you individually to move in that direction, and that's the way forward. I'm curious if you think that's enough as an ethic. Like, um, if you do that, if you kind of make those decisions and live your life, is that enough? Do you, or, or are you obligated also to participate in the mass politics of the moment? You know. Yeah, it's an interesting like, question. I, I, I mean, because I I, 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 I tend to think these two things tend to be like juxtaposed. Like, there's no use trying to be like holier than thou than thou and like live your life so like accordingly unless you mass mobilize and create change at a mass scale and a global scale and a national scale and like do the mega projects do the mass politics to make the big changes and that's kind of juxtaposed and co- and contradicted and um with this sort of like personal based ethic approach that sort of advocates um a, a bottom-up a bottom-up revolution i guess you might say um yeah, I mean, I, I guess, like, this is... I do think uh, the top-down solutions are, are doomed to fail. Um, but I don't think that means we should stop... We should abandon them. Um, I I think uh, it's it's just interesting that, you know... Uh, why not? I feel like that's hard to... I feel like that's a hard position to take. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I, 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 I agree with you, but I don't know... I don't know. I don't know. Like, you know, I, I tend to think Wendell would say... These things are too. He he wrote another great essay. Maybe we'll talk about it another time. It's called "Think Little," and it's basically like again bringing up this idea of like thinking little instead of thinking big. Um, I do think that that's really the the answer is like you know if if we if everyone if we if everyone if you I mean that's the because the the problem with bottom up is you need everyone 
The problem with top yeah. down is if you make the wrong choice, <laughs> you know. And I think they're both risky, or they're both like just as they, they're both as not. I shouldn't say risky. Well, they're both they're, they're both, both as, as equally probable. doomed <laughs> and naive, yeah. right? Like yeah, right. equally yeah. improbable. Like you will make the wrong choice. Everything always fails. At, you know, at the global sense, we're never going to have utopia. And on the individual sense, like approach, never get everyone approach, on board. You'll never get everyone on board. No, because um, people like the people love oil. So that's the thing. People yeah. want to golf well, in Arizona. And, you know, one of my, one of my, yeah, people love golfing in Arizona. It's incredible. Know, and um, <laughs> and uh, you know, how did Arizona become the golf capital of the United States? It makes it is the desert. The ultimate, <laughs> it is it is, ult, is the ultimate example of it. But my one of my kind of like mottos for structuring this is like, can a free people ever freely choose to consume less? You know. So, like, unless you're willing to, like, adopt, like, an authoritarian climate politics, which I think uh, maybe we'll see in the future. If the climate realists, the doom, like, climate really aggressive climate, like, forecasts and the doomsayers are really that, are really right about it being that existential, like, eventually there will be an authoritarian response um, that takes up the mantle because it is existential, uh, or at least people think it is. Uh, but in, insofar as you're not willing to go there, I don't think very many people are willing to bite that bullet yet. Um, you have to basically, I think you end up basically asking a free people, not willing to abandon freedom, so asking a free people to somehow consume less. Yeah. And my question to you is like, and I guess to society and to the world and to history is like, is that possible? Can a free no, people do that? Uh, no, can a free so that, people ever choose to consume less? And can any one person choose to consume less? Which uh, is why Wendell would say like it starts with individuals. Right. And I think he makes the case that, you know, like you, you start as a personal matter and it soon becomes an example for others. Um, mm-hmm. And I yeah, think he that, says that, you know, I think that that's really critical. So I think, yes, I what do I think is... Uh, do I, th- I don't think either is, I think both solutions are doomed. I think, you know, we are going to, rather than, you know, hit any of either target, either the bottom up or the top down, I think we're going to see like, okay, cool, we mass extinction, we don't have like fish anymore. So now people can't consume sushi because there just isn't enough fish. And like, their people will not be able to like drink, you know, water from their local source. It'll have to go through a desalination plant and be bottled by the government, you know. And like, yeah. so we will like lose the dy- freedom. The dystopia, the dystopia yeah. will se- will settle in. The dystopia will settle in one ecosystem at a time. And obviously, there's the big, you know, people like to think about, or not like to, but people when they talk about the existential nature of climate change, they think about the heat waves, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, the floods, the monsoons. Uh, you know, the sea rise, all that shit might happen too. And people will move a little further from the coast and massive populations will die. That's really not the, those aren't really the things that I think are, I think like the ecosystem, the colossus of topsoil. And like, I think all of that shit is really kind of baked in at this point. And I don't think we're going to build enough solar panels to save the ecosystems, which, you know, distinguishing between that and climate, let alone the climate. So I think we're going to have runaway warming. We're going to have runaway ecosystem collapse. And then we're likely to get authoritarian responses, not out of, uh, oh, we're going to fix the climate now, but just uh, we need to survive. And I, yeah, you know, yeah. and I, and I don't yeah. know if that timeline's a hundred years, fifty years, three hundred years, but that's kind of where I put in the the middle of the bell curve, uh, which is why, which is yeah. why you sort of like have 
position yourself. You said climate nihilism, which is like I, I you know, I see why. I don't, but I, I think it's more absurdism. Because this is yeah. why I would, I would push, and that's why I, yeah. went, I changed yeah. it to absurdism. Because in my own life, I do think the Wendell Berry solution is the right one. I think I can achieve, you know, a uh, and that feels happiness. good ethically. Ethically, like that feels like yeah, yeah. It feels like you're you're living a a good li- you know like a good life. Like you know, I don't know how how we also want to think about this, but like a morally dignified life. Yes, um, and yeah, and I feel better physically if you you know you take care yeah. if you if you like you know and I and you have a form and I feel better spiritually. I think forming that type of like connection with well, the yeah. land. And, I mean, if we take and, his connection yeah. to anxiety seriously, it's like it literally will resolve your anxiety, which yeah. you'll live you will live more pleasantly if you don't live under the cloud of anxiety. Um, yeah. So I think in that sense, it makes perfect. You know, it checks out. I just sometimes feel that that approach is, I hate to use it because it's so uh, contemporary, but like it's privileged, right? Like not everybody can like retire to the farm. Totally. So yeah. what, and, 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 and not only is it privileged, but it's also just like, it's sort of accepting, you know, this is what the other kind of side of it is. Not only can not everybody do that, not everybody has resources, not everybody kind of comes from the country you know if you come from the country maybe you have family there maybe it's easier for you to like live out in the country but not everybody can just leave the city and do that um but more importantly and i think more kind of more uh more uh more uh devastating to like the position is like in doing so you have prioritized yourself and your own kind of like moral purity over the the warfare and the trench warfare and the and the the task, however hopeless, however small odds of like saving the broader body politic, you know, saving the broader culture, the broader society, the broader civilization. Yeah, um, sort of like giving up on like on all these on the world and like just it's sort of like a sort of quiet quietism or sort of like isolationism. I'm not sure how to think about that, but. Um, I hear you, but it's also, I think, doing far more than, um, you know, I think attending a climate protest, right? Like, I think, like, what what meaningful mm-hmm. political action could I take well, to, like, cause a, a, a re- revolution and, and lead, bring in the, the climate authoritarian regime? I think the re- sad truth is, yeah, there's a sense of privilege, but I think the sad truth is, like, we, the planet, cannot support 7 billion people even at the current levels of consumption, without bringing the develop, so bake in the inequality. So all of yeah. all of the the global South that doesn't get to consume, even if you keep the global South at their level of consumption and you keep the West at ours, uh, and the developed nations exactly where they are, we cannot support this for a yeah. hundred years, two hundred years. Let alone if you want to bring the global South up to America levels of consumption. Yeah. So realistically, the only solution is. Fewer people, and probably fewer fewer people or less consumption, and probably both. Honestly, is my thought. And so, what I can do in that role is a. I mean, I you know, not to get too personal, but like Anya and I aren't having kids, so I think of that as like a there, there's that's not like a an insignificant uh, reason for like this is related no, to that right because yeah. of of these like beliefs in some way. But secondly, because it's better for the world. 
uh, the planet as a, as a whole, not just as an object, a sphere to be conquered and dominated by humans, um, but also, you know, if we can reduce our consumption from Western yeah. standards to something less, um, you know, I and think be that, a more responsible, quote unquote, responsible consumer. Yeah, I think that that is the. I think that is the biggest impact I can make on this. And I happen to work on, you know, uh, my specialist job, uh, build software that I like to think will help get renewables built more quickly. But it probably won't. Probably just make a bunch of people, you know, a bunch of money and. You know, they'll, maybe they'll build the panels in the wrong place, or it turns out solar panels and all the minerals and you know that we had to extract to build panels everywhere uh, actually doesn't solve the climate crisis or the topsoil crisis or the plastic pollution or any of the other problems. Or whatever, or yeah. whatever it did, it was just not enough. It was just wasn't um, enough. Yeah. So like, yeah, I'm, you know. Well, I, I, yeah. I'm, I also think I'm curious what you think about, you know, the response to that would be like, okay, well, if that's true. And I want to have kids or and or like I'm not willing to like I'm not willing to write off the lives and the lives of billions of children, unborn children. Right. Like I'm like I'm not willing to accept that that much death, let's say, even though I guess in some sense everybody's doomed to die. So what, what am I really accepting? I don't know, I'm, I'm getting off track here. I think we're getting into like really heady moral terrain here, which is what I'm excited about. Um, but. Insofar as I'm not willing to like accept mass population reductions, um, I don't think you should look at population reductions as death. First of all, if it's okay, like, okay, if, but, okay, but, but, yeah. so, okay. Let me let me finish. But I see, I get your point. So I, I I think there's a complication there that you know we could explore. But yeah, like I think you know the idea is like okay, the population has to shrink. I mean, like that means you have to tell somebody who 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 can have ch- kids and who can't have kids. So there's some... No, you don't have to do that. Yeah, you either, okay. you either do that but, or the Earth does that. The Earth will do that okay. for you. Well, yeah. It runs well, out of okay. stuff. <laughs> Nonetheless, the point is, if if you don't want that future, I can see why people are animated by, like, the techno solution, right? They're like, it's either mass death or we or we sol- technology solves, or gets, you know, solves the problem. And so I can actually kind of get in to the mindset of the... You might call it like the eco-modernists. This is like a sub subcategory of political ideology that's trendy right now. Eco-modernist, you know, techno-utopist, whatever you want to call them. The people that really fundamentally believe that if we can, we can, technology and the kind of continued economic expansion, the continued technological expansion of the country, of the of the world, of the civilizational world order, whether that's under like an eco mindset, which is like sort of the the liberal left-leaning side of the of the techno you know techno world or there's like the the right wing and libertarian side who's like yeah the environment will be fine we'll just keep developing and we'll go to the moon and go to mars and so on and so forth and the future will be one um they're all they all can are sort of animated by i think the sense that like i'm not willing to accept that much death and kind of destruction so therefore like i'm not willing to like give up on the hope of progress well, I think um, that you, you could see progress as uh, that's like I do see like our choices see. as progress. Now, I, I think we could easily if we had if we had children, I, you could still I don't think that's like def, that's the moral question. I mean, that's just a personal choice that Anya and I are making. But I think like, yeah, you know, I think it's perfectly reasonable, especially if you own a farm, for instance, or if you want to own a little land and, and take care of some land um, to have children and to, you know, they're going to help. On that farm, if you have children, I think it's you owe. I think the the 
I would still argue that whether you have children or not, the solution in it for an individual is to decouple from the technocratic solutions to think smaller. And I am, I am much more on the Barry train, at least now, you know, I'm just reading him for the first time and he's like exploding my mind, but um, you know, maybe I'll change my mind if you give me some good techno utopian uh, oh, authors. Yeah. yeah. We got it queued up. We got it queued up. Yeah. 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 Ne- next year I'm just going to be all about, no man, it's all about the metaverse and like running on solar <laughs> panels and you know, just like Dude, people, people, zero carbon ideas. metaverse living. Yeah, you just upload your consciousness, and then you're completely carbon free. Just run run on a Bitcoin miner, (laughs) dude. Honestly, like, dude, your real body's just in bed all day, but your mind is like living a full life. That's the solution, and then the Earth is great. Yeah, you know, and that's the future that I'm sure sure some right wing people like. That's what the left wants is transhumanist dystopia in which we abandon our bodies <laughs> and, and of course there is someone out there who's like yeah that's what i want um <laughs> yeah man uh, you can fly it's, in it's, vr you can't fly dude, people it, it, the transhumanists are like yeah like this is the way out like we're gonna like dude i feel like transhumanism not, was very cool in like 2000 in the 2000s and like oh, no, coming off of cyberpunk and, and stuff but like 2022 it's it's like pretty sad to be a transhumanist in 2022 can you really look around and be like yeah we're evolving (laughs) well well no what it's 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 lowered its horizons and it's just like we're just going to it's sort of like yeah i think it's gotten to the point where they're just like the only way the only uh, yeah like that's how we're going to escape the planet is like through some sort of like uh, merge deep yeah, you got to merge. Not like oh, not it's not a singularity, but like you know, cyber cybernetic, you know, some sort of like kind of techno induced higher capabilities, intelligence, health. Blah blah. blah. We'll put these nanobots Any- in your stomach that help digest the plastic in the water, and then you're <laughs> yeah yeah. You're well, exactly. Dude. No, exactly. That's what I mean. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, which is its own sort of dystopia. I'm but, sure those uh, people will be happy. <laughs> so I. I I guess what I I want I want to follow the next episode we should follow this up with like exploration of some of the approaches to like basically follow the line of thinking that we're ne- that we're in now like this sort of like moral uh, the moral terrain of like of like of climate change like where is the right side to be on this issue given the inevitability of a, the inadequacy of the bottom-up individual kind of based change, and B, the inevitable futility of uh, kind of the mass movement and the sort of techno, techno-led, tech-led solution. Yeah. Um, and and given those, you know, where given given what we seem to think of as both of those like fundamental inadequacies. Um, where is where what's the moral and political terrain look like in that in that in that landscape and that's what i call like i call that like the post climate like once you've accepted like you know once you've accepted that fate like you're now on the other side of like the climate catastrophe and like what does the politics look like what are the problems <laughs> there yeah that's and that's and that's like basically where we're you know you we're sort of already there because of its inevitability 
Yeah, yeah, I know. And I, and I will just say, maybe just to, you know, wrap up the Barry stuff, like, I would really encourage something, something Anya really encouraged us to do in, in our house that, that um, has been really just really beautiful, I'll say, for us, is we started going to farmer's markets, which, you know, is like the classic get married cliche. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, actually, every week we go to the same one. We know like this do we have the, there's this family that raises uh pigs and we get our pork from like this 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 couple we every day they save like different cuts of meat for us there's this other guy who grows like garlic and and onions and uh fresh basil like the strongest basil you've ever smelled this this shit is like these are different species than what you see in a grocery store is the first thing i would say and you pay more for it we pay our our we essentially doubled our grocery bill so this is where privilege comes in right but we, we go to the farmer's market, we get as much produce and meat and stuff as we can from people who we know. And we've actually been on some of these farms too and seen like some the ground where this stuff grows. And I have to tell, I would encourage anyone who, who hears this or cares, like go to a farmer's market, talk to a farmer and actually like, if you get an opportunity to go to a, like one of these small operations where they're growing stuff, like look, take a look at that and, and just take a moment to reflect on just food coming out of the ground and then when you go home, give and you treat that food with some care, you know, and you uh, you prepare a recipe based on what's in season, um, you know, it really starts changing if you can build a patterns around that. It's definitely more expensive, but it's also it just it, but it's, a, it's definitely the recapturing of agency, right? It's like recapturing it's of agency. Yeah, it's more expensive, but it's like yeah, but I'm eating like meat because that was raised in texas or plants that were grown in texas we try to on i forget the uh, yeah like a, i mean the point 100 the, mile the point radius would, is what we try the to point do would be, but the point would be that it's supposed to be more expensive like yeah that's the real food cost is too, you know the food is too cheap right it's like it's too in the same way it's like you ought to be anxious it's like the food is too cheap the real costs of society are oh. just borne by future generations, and that's the problem, yeah. is we've leveraged all of our future generations, so if we get the, the cheap electricity, the cheap entertainment, the cheap food, the cheap everything. Well, I, think it's and, a, I think it's also borne by our currents in, in, in this sort of like non-explicitly causal links, like the fact that we all labor under like mass, you know, like there's a commonly accepted mental health crisis, but nobody knows why. You know, there's commonly like... Uh, it's like because mass, of Facebook, dude. Haven't you seen? Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, of course. But like, you know, there's like all these diseases, right? You know, there's all these like kind of like, um, you know, just like health crises that nobody has any explanation for why or where they all came from, right? Um, they, you know, they're rich world diseases, right? Um, and nobody knows why rich people just suffer from them. Um, and it's like all of these things. Those are the costs I think that we're bearing, and I just think that's like. You just, it's just we don't really generally accept that they're causally linked to the food system and the supply chain, food supply chain. Yeah, the general like atmosphere of poisons and 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 we talk about the negative stuff, but I just want to I want to end on the positive note. There's a lot of no matter where you are, whether you're in a city or whether you're in like a rural area, like just you know walk outside and under and see yourself as like a part of a larger world and a part of a, a land and just like you know be present in a place. In a, in a moment and, you know, try to be right. I think Barry uses the word responsible. I think awareness is like the first step towards responsibility, aware yeah. of like yeah. the, the food you're eating and aware. And just I think you will find and I have found 
the more aware I am of these things, it's not actually so dark because there are meaningful things I can do whether, and, and it's not a, to virtue signal, you know, like, cause I still, I'll, I'll get a straw in my drinks and stuff, you know, it's like, I'm not, I'm, there's no saints, you know? Um, but when I do just turn down the straw or when I do like fill up a water bottle instead and not buy a bottle of water, or when I do get like food that's from close to me, um, every small step I do, it makes me feel better. And it makes me feel, um, not just better, but it makes me feel good, you know? And I, and it's, that is the type of, uh, the more you can move towards that, I think, um, I guess responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The better you feel, the happier you'll be. And honestly, the more people who do that, I think the better life gets for all of us. So um, I think that is the, the revolutionary act of the individual is um, it's the you got to look in the mirror first and, and, you know, not get that new thing you wanted to get <laughs> or not eat whatever. You, <laughs> no, believe it or not, it's not good to have everything you want on command. <laughs> That's just yeah, not good for, your, like, for your soul or your mind or your body. Yeah, it's like... It, the revolutionary act is to freely choose to consume less. That's it. And to like be, yeah, I think that would be, and that's, yeah, that's the task, you know, for us. And then for us as a people. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Techno utopians next, man. Techno utopias next. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to see if they are feasible. Yeah, let's see if Barry has any essays about techno Oh, yeah. It's... He's, he saw it all. <laughs> <laughs>